1: Both programs I've selected for tonight are rather shorter than most, so it gives me the opportunity to delve a bit more intensely into their histories than otherwise I would have time for. First to be aired tonight is a program from 1946, starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. Of course, you know immediately that I'm going to be talking about Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. The basic facts of Holmes are well-known to nearly every literate person on the globe. He was the creation of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and made appearances in 56 short stories and four novels. He solved cases from 221 B. Baker Street in London with the assistance of his faithful companion, Dr. Watson. We are all familiar with the names of Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, but who else portrayed this famous detective? The radio recreations of Holmes began October 20, 1930, when William Gillette, perhaps the greatest popularizer of Holmes, took the role to a new medium. Gillette only made two radio appearances as Holmes, the first the 1930 pilot as the, uh, for the original Sherlock Holmes radio series, and then in 1935 on Lux Radio Theater. However, Gillette may have done more than anyone else than perhaps Doyle himself to popularize Sherlock Holmes. Gillette was tasked with writing the first theater adaptation of Sherlock Holmes, and then he took Holmes on the road. Gillette would perform the role of Sherlock Holmes more than 1,300 times in theaters across the United States, Great Britain, and Australia, among other countries. Doyle created the greatest detective in literature. Gillette's touches turned him into a character that would stand the test of time. Gillette gave Holmes the bent briar pipe, a magnifying glass, the violin, and the syringe— And from his writings, rather than Doyle's, springs the phrase, Elementary, my dear Watson. Gillette also portrayed Holmes in a lost 1916 silent film. Orson Welles paid tribute to Gillette on an episode of Mercury Theater on the air, saying, It's too little to say William Gillette resembled Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes looks exactly like William Gillette. So, let's get to tonight's episode entitled, The Uneasy Chair.
2: Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce and the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to Doctor Watson tell us another exciting story about his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. Now well, I'm sure our good friend Dr. Watson's expecting us. Let's go in and enjoy. Good evening, Doctor.
3: Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Punctual <coughs> to the minute, as usual. Drop a chair and settle down, my boy.
2: Well, I won't settle down too far, Doctor. You have a habit of keeping me on the edge of my chair during most of your story. yes, ah,
3: you should be, Mr. Bartell. I hope tonight will prove no exception. So light up
2: your pipe and I'll get on with my story. Doctor, from the hint you gave us last week, it sounded like quite a thriller. How did it begin?
3: On a cold winter morning in 1897, Holmes and I, our breakfast, concluded sat on either side of a cheery fire in our Baker Street lodging, a thick fog rolled down between the line of dun-colored houses, and the opposite windows loomed like dark, shapeless blurs through the heavy yellow wreath. Another
2: London pea-super, huh, exactly, Doctor?
3: Exactly, Mr. Barthel. Our gas was lit and shone its flicking light on the white cloth and glimmer of china, for the breakfast table had not been cleared. Holmes was busy cross-indexing his record of crime, while I was engrossed in one of Clark Russell's fine sea stories. Our morning was not destined, however, to be a quiet one. Shortly after 11 o'clock, Mrs. Hudson ushered a young lady into our room. A young lady... No, you're too young, really. I'm, I'm Dr. Watson, and, and this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. How do you do, gentlemen? I must apologize for not
4: giving my name to your housekeeper, but I have to be here.
5: Okay. This I don't understand, my dear.
4: Of course, you're wondering who I am and what's brought me here.
5: My own theory would be that you are Miss Harriet Irving, and that you've come to me to elicit my aid in proving that Mister. Binion did not murder your father. Holmes, what on earth are you talking about?
4: You're absolutely correct, Mister. Holmes, but huh? how
5: did you know? I deduced it, Miss Irving. You're wearing very new and extremely expensive mourning, presumably for the first time since a few basting threads are still in evidence. You wear no rings, so evidently you're not in mourning for a husband. The only man whose death the papers announced in the past few days and who left a young daughter uh, wealthy enough to purchase such garments is Sir Edward Irvin. And since the police have already made an arrest, obviously wish me to uh, uh, disprove the police theory and intercede for young Minion.
4: Mr. Holmes, you're wonderful. That's just what I want you to do. You will,
3: won't you?
5: Miss Irvin, I've studied the newspaper reports very carefully. It would seem to me that Scotland Yard has... uh, arrested the right man. Well, I'm very really sorry, but I didn't read the newspaper reports. I haven't the faintest idea what you're both talking about. Then uh, let me bring you up to date, my dear fellow. Mm-hmm. And please mm-hmm. correct me, Miss Irvin, if I make any mistakes. Now, three days ago, Sir Edward Irvin, the father of this young lady, was found stabbed to death in his study. Mm-hmm. The only entrance to the study is to an anteroom where his secretary had been sitting ever since Sir Edward was last seen alive. And the secretary swore that no one had entered or left study. Like his name being uh, Binion, I Yes, under the circumstances, it's hard to see that any other arrest was possible.
4: And yet I know he's innocent, Mr. Holmes.
3: Oh, and how do you know that,
4: Mr. We were in love. We were going to be married. I don't care what the police say. A woman knows these things. Robert Binion did not kill my father.
3: Did your father approve of the engagement? Well, no. Not exactly. If
5: one were to be exact, Miss Irvin, wouldn't one say that um, your father absolutely forbade the marriage? Yes, he did. And Inspector Lestrade assumed that was the motive for the murder. Well, sounds logical, I must say. Does your father have any other relatives living, Miss Irvin?
4: His brother, my Uncle Peregrine. He lives a hermit's life in the country. We've seen very little of him in the last few years.
5: Was he left anything under your father's will?
4: No, I was the sole beneficiary. Please help me, Mr. Holmes. If you'll just talk to Robert, you'll know he's not guilty. Oh,
3: there's no harm in talking to him, Holmes. After all, our old friend Lestrade handled the case, and he's made a good many mistakes in the past. Oh,
5: Happen will be all old but... chap. Well, Miss Evan, I'll do what I can, but I promise nothing. That's you, Mr. Holmes. Uh, where is your fiancé being held?
4: That's Scotland Yard. I talked to him there just before I came to Scott you. Scotland Yard, eh?
5: Splendid. We can talk to Lestrade at the same time. Watson, your hat... My hat and coat. Uh, precisely, old fellow, your hat and coat. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson think they know more than they are, eh? Come over here to teach us our business, I suppose. Nothing
3: of the sort, Mr. Stard. We came over here to make a few
5: inquiries. I tell you, gentlemen, that you're wasting your time. Young Binion is guilty, whatever his young lady may say. Mr. Ard? Yes, Mr. Holmes? Uh, what did the autopsy prove? we well, have got a report of it here on my desk, but uh, it won't tell you nothing you don't know. Mm-hmm. Death was instantaneous. Caused by some weapon like a long needle, a fine stiletto, or an ice pick. Penetrating the brain at the base of the skull. And no such weapon was found in the room. All oh, on Mr. Binion. True, sir. But then he had the chance of disposing of, him. of
3: it. Just the same, the murder weapon hasn't been found, has it?
5: No, doctor, but we'll find it. Don't you worry about that. I should like to talk to the prisoner, if you don't mind. Oh, of course I don't mind. He's in the uh, detention cell just down the corridors from here. Mm. Uh, follow me, gentlemen.
3: Has he given you any trouble, Lestrade?
5: Trouble? <laughs> if all our prisoners were as quiet as him, we wouldn't need no guards, Doctor. Nice quiet, young fellow. Hard to realize he's a murderer. A fact that still has to be proven in court, Lestrade. A fact that is going to be proved in court, Mr. Holmes. Well, here we are at this cell. You've uh, got visitors, Benny, very distinguished visitors. Hey, gentlemen. Uh, my name is Holmes, Sherlock Holmes, and this is my colleague, Dr. Watson. I'm sorry
2: to see you in the sight,
5: Mr. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, when Harriet did come and see you when she left
2: you, I'm so glad. You'll get me out of this, mess. I know you
5: will. Even Mr. Sherlock Holmes can't get you out of this one, young fellow. Miss Binion, I promised your fiancé that I'd try and hook you. My obvious course is to go to Sir Edward's house and examine the room in which the tragedy occurred. But before I do that, I'd like to ask you a question or two. Ask me any question you want to, sir. It was you who discovered the body, I understand. Yes, Mr. Howe? Please describe the circumstances. Sir Edward was in his
2: study. I'd been working in the ante room adjoining. At five o'clock, I went in to say goodnight to him, and I found him slumped in his chair, dead, with blood streaming down the back of his head. Of course, I sent the butler for the police at once.
5: Could anyone have entered that room without your knowledge?
2: No, Mr. Holmes, I never left my desk. And there was no other entrance to the room, save through my office.
5: Well, how about the windows, instead? They
2: were locked from the inside, Doctor.
5: Oh, you don't need to worry. We examined the window ledges, not a mark. No one came in that way. Now, what is your theory of the murder, Mr. Binion? I haven't one, Mr. Holmes. I'm completely baffled. I'm certain
2: that no one entered that room. Yet I swear to you that I didn't stab him. I can understand
5: the police believing I did mm-hmm. Mr. I should like to examine the room in which Sir Edward was murdered. What? Well, easiest thing in the world, Mr. Holmes. I'll drive over with you if you like. His house is in night.
3: Oh, you needn't bother, Lestrade. We, we can quite well go by ourselves. Oh, so not a bit
5: of it, Doctor. I'd like to come with oh, you. Oh, oh, why, Lestrade? You you're, you're convinced Mr. Binion is guilty? Are you? So. Won't you, uh, won't you be wasting your time? Not me. <laughs> well, once I know you're on the wrong side of a case, Mr. Holmes. I want to be there and see your faces when you find it out. Uh, 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 This is the house, Mister Holmes.
3: Uh, Imposing looking place. I must say imagine, Lestrade, that you still have a police guard inside.
5: Oh, yes, Doctor. There's been a sergeant guarding the dead man's room day and night. Uh, we uh, still haven't found the missing weapon, you know. Yes, gentlemen? I'm Inspector Lestrade of Scotland Yard. We uh, wish to examine the house. I must see your identification, sir. What are you talking about? I've been in and out of this house half a dozen times. I have my orders, sir. Oh, very well. There's no, Miss Irvin at home. Miss Irvin is not receiving, sir. Scottman, man, can't you give us any information? There's been tragedy in this house, sir, and the truth of it's not known yet. I'm not answering any questions, but I don't have to. Here, here now, does this police guard satisfy you? Inspector Lestrade. Very good, Inspector. You may come in. <laughs> May I direct you, gentlemen? No, thank you. I know this house nearly as well as you do. I think not, Inspector. I've served here for 27 years. Oh, gentlemen, if you're not needing me, I'll return to my quarters. <laughs> yes,
3: sir, sir. <laughs> yes, <you> know That's <laughs> the sinisterness uh, of the future, if I ever saw one. Yes, he knows knows something.
5: You see, Lestrade, there is a possibility that Binion is innocent. Yes, sir. I began to see that, sir, when you were talking to the butler. You're being very cryptic. What other possibility are you talking about? The possibility that Binion, the arrested man, is shielding the real murderer. And whom would he be most certain to shield?
3: You mean his fiancée, Miss miss Irvin?
5: That's right, old fellow. What? Here we are. Uh, This is the ante room where young Binion worked. And that door there leads into the study where Sir Edward was found. Have mean been touched across since the discovery of the crime? Oh, no, Mr. Holmes. Uh, that's why we've had a constable on duty in there night and day. Uh, before the trial, we're bringing experts in to uh, test the room with secret panels or anything of that kind. Let's examine the dead man's room, shall we? Right you are, Mr. Holmes. Uh, Webster. Webster, get out of that chair and stand up, can't you? You're on duty.
3: Sleep, asleep. he's dead.
5: Yes. The trickle of blood oozing out from the base of his skull. Well, strike me, Pink. He's being killed the same way as Sir Edward was. I presume you'll agree that Mr. Binion didn't commit this murder, Lestrade. Of course not, Mr. Holmes. He couldn't have done it. He's locked up at the yard. Well, what are we going to do? Ask the butler to come here, will you? Right you are, sir. What do you make of their wound, Doctor? it's oh, a the description of, of the one that killed Sir Edward,
3: there's a fine puncture here at the face of the skull. I tell Holmes, they mentioned a stiletto or an ice pick. A wound like this might be caused by one of those long steel hatpins that, that women wear.
5: Yes, it's a possibility, Watson—a distinct possibility. And Miss Irvin was wearing a long hatpin this morning, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Blasted walls. A little chance of secret panels here, I should say. And the window's locked from the inside, eh? Yeah. Here he is, Mr. Holmes. Oh, yes, sir. And by the way, what's your name? Travers, sir. You see what's happened, Trevor? Yes, sir. I see. The constable's been killed just like my master. Now, tell me, Trevor, is this room exactly as it was in Sir Edward's lifetime? Yes, sir. Except that my master was not in the habit of keeping the corpses of policemen in here. You don't try to be funny, Travers. Don't you realise you're mixed up in a murder case? I meant no offence, gentlemen. The point of my question, Trevors, was to find out if any of the furniture in here had been moved lately. Not moved, sir. But there has been a piece of furniture added. That armchair the dead man's lying in. The same chair in which Sir Edward's body was found. Of course, that's the answer. Trevors, when was that chair delivered? And who delivered it? It was delivered the day before Sir Edward died. It came from Silberschwartz's antique shop in Bond Street. uh uh-huh. sir. game's a foot start. See to for the removal of this poor man's body. Seal the room, and for heaven's sake, keep this latest death a secret for a day at least. Within that time, I hope to have your murderer for you. Then we're going. Conveying my dear chap to Silberschwartz's antique shop in Bond Street. <laughs>
3: Those old music boxes are quite charming, Holmes,
5: aren't they? Yes, but where is Mr. Silberschwanz? It's probably him. Well, looking Oh, Mr. Silberschwanz. Yes,
6: gentlemen.
5: You are interested in musical boxes? No, sir, in chairs. Particularly in the handsomely carved chair you delivered to Sir Edward Irvin a few days ago. Ah, yeah, a magnificent specimen. <laughs> he was found dead in it, Mr. Silberschwanz. And half an hour ago, someone else was found dead in it also. That chair was one of a pair, wasn't it? Yes, sir.
0: Begotten Himmel.
5: That's impossible. Please, please to follow me.
3: I I will show you it's not possible. Look, look at the chair. It's exactly like the same one as Sir Edward's house. Oh, my friend, but
5: there's such a difference. 15th century Italian, isn't it? Yeah, this is one of a pair of the famous Malipiero armchairs. There are only three pairs in the world, my friend. Of this pair, one, the one I delivered to Sir Edward, is simply a great specimen of the carved art. This one, it's made. Looks exactly like it. Does it not? Exactly. I can't see any difference, so You would if you sat in it, old chap. Precisely. That is why I have these cords stretched from one arm of the chair to the other. If anyone were to to sit in it, well, sometimes nothing will happen. But sooner or later, a hand will press on this hidden spring in the arm here, and death will strike.
3: But nothing happened when you pressed the spring, then, Mister Superintendent. No, I, I, I don't understand.
5: I do. This is the harmless chair. The lethal one was sent to Sir Edward. He sat in it, accidentally pressed the spring and drove the fatal needle into his brain.
3: Yes, as that poor constable did
5: today. Sir Edward bought both chairs, I presume. Yeah, I would not sell it. Then why
3: didn't you deliver both at the same time? He was afraid of the dead. one.
5: He what? asked me to, to keep it here until he found a safe place for it in his home. Mm-hmm. And some devil switched the arm cord from the fatal chair to the harmless one so that you delivered death to Sir Edward. There's a subtlety in this crime worthy of the fiendish maker of the chairs himself. Silver Schwartz. Yeah, my no, no. Didn't Malapieri die of being tricked into seating himself in one of his own chairs? Yeah, yeah, he uh-huh. did. Ah, poetic justice. I'm much obliged to you, Silber Schwartz. Now I think I know how to trap our killer.
2: Well, Dr. Watson, this is quite a story you're telling us tonight. So you found out how the murders had been committed, but not who had been responsible for it. That's quite right, Mr. Bartell. Holmes spent a long time
3: cross-examining Mr. Silverswantz, the owner of the antique store, as to who might have had the opportunity of switching the telltale cord from the fatal chair.
2: And who did have that opportunity, well, Doctor? Well,
3: Mr. Bartell, it transpired that four people might have been responsible. Edward's daughter, the secretary, Mr. Binion, had both been in the shop with him at various times. So had the butler, Trevor's. The fourth suspect was Sir Edward's eccentric brother, Peregrine, who it appeared had dropped into the shop the day after the purchase had been made. With this last information, Holmes became very excited and launched into eager preparations, which ended a few hours later when we found ourselves disguised as furniture removers, driving a van along a quiet country lane near Dorking as we approached the house of Sir Edward's brother, Peregrine.
5: There's the house, Watson. Ramshackle looking place, isn't it? Yeah, it's extremely... <laughs> Why are you so morose, my dear chap? have hardly spoken a word on our drive no, down you never here. tell me anything.
3: Why are we trundling off into the wilds of the country disguised as furniture removers and carrying the harmless chair with us? Surely
5: the reason is transparent, old chap? Uh, it's just about as transparent as doff stocking full of hot tripe. Oh, <laughs> my dear Watson, surely it's obvious that we're up against an extremely cunning murderer. Now, what advantage accrues to him in using the Malapiero chair?
3: An alibi, of course. He's nowhere near the place where the
5: murder happened. Precisely. Apply your logic a little further. Three of the suspects—the daughter, Mister Binion, and Trevor the butler—live in the house and would almost certainly have been present at the time of death. Therefore, who gains most by such an alibi?
3: Well, the,
5: the brother, Peregrine. Elementary, my dear Watson. Now you see why we trundled off into the wilds of Dorking.
3: Well, that must be Peregrine standing out of the porch. He seems a funny-looking fellow. Oh, my lead,
5: Watson. Ah, good afternoon, Governor. You were uh, fellows must have come to the wrong house. Uh, you were Mr. Pettigrine Irvine, on, not you, Governor? Yes. And we come to the right house. All right, all right, all right. Come on, Bertie, give us a hand. Uh, right to you are our feet. What, what, what the devil is unloading an armchair? Come on, get out of You drop it on my foot, Bertie, look at Easy does it. Come on, Bert. Bert That's right. right, Alf. I got it. Set right. that down easy now on the porch yeah. here. There you, you go. Give it. a ah. Give me a crickets. I had a pretty chair, Governor? Bertie and me was admiring it on our way down here. Cool, oh, blimey. is a nice chair? <laughs> but who told you to bring it here? Orders, Governor. Mr. Silver Snitch. What, whatever his name is. <laughs> tell us your brother didn't want the chair and said as how uh, we was to bring it to you. But my brother's dead. Mr. Silver Snitch said uh, he-, he gave the order before he died. Why don't I sit down in it, Governor? Of course not, of course not. Lummi. Bit of all right, isn't it? Look at him laughing. <laughs> Who wish me old Trouble and Strife could see me now. Trouble and strife. Oh, yeah, yeah. Trouble and strife, that's my wife, Governor. Here, sit down yourself, sir. Come on, go on, sit down, try it. Go on, go on, Governor. Take the weight off your plates of meat. What barbaric jargon do you speak? What are other plates of meat? Plates of meat is feet, Governor. That's rhyming slang. That's right, that's right, rhyming slang. Go on, sit down in it. Go on. Oh, I'd be well. Huh. There now, ain't yeah. that comfortable? Yeah, Go on, run your hands over the arms, Governor. Ain't that car been pretty? Ain't it just Ducky? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yes it is. But, but I don't want the wretched thing. There's been some mistake. Uh, so you'd better take it back to London and tell them to sell it. I, I don't want anything of my brother. jumping Josephet. Can't see why you don't want to sit in a nice chair like this, Governor. But you, you're the one that's gives the orders around here. Come on, Bertie. Come on, get your back into it. Yeah, all right, Alfie. Let's get back in the van. All right, yeah, come on. you up are. Up away they go. go. Oh, bless you, Ralph, Governor. We don't worry about that sort of thing, do we, Bertie? Of course not, Alfie. That's We'd had a nice drive in the country anyhow, didn't that's we? That's right. Let's get these old horses going. Good day, Governor. Uh, good, good day, uh, day, day Governor. Good. That was a false trail,
3: Holmes. Obviously, he knew nothing about the chair. He thought it was perfectly harmless.
5: And, uh, as indeed it was, that the murderer were the fordick people. I've slipped up in my reasoning somehow. Oh, but of course. Oh, what a fool I am. We must get back to London as fast as these tired nags can take us. Come on, get up there. Get up there. Uh, What's the next move, Holmes? Back to Sadwood's house. and the staging of a little drama that I'm sure will give us the final answer to this problem. Yes, Mr. Holmes, I've got Miss Irving, Young Binion, and the butler waiting outside. And no one knows we switched the chairs. Splendid. Uh, You're sure that this is the harmless chair, huh? Of course I am. Look here. I sit in it. So, run my hands over the arms. Yes, this chair is harmless, as every person save one will know. Throw them in, Mr. Holmes. All at once, Mr. Holmes? Uh, No, I think we'll take Miss Irving and Mr. Binion first. Oh, what you are, Uh, Mr.
4: Irvin, uh, Mr. Binion, uh, come in, please. Oh, Mr. Holmes.
5: What's the matter, Miss Irvin?
4: It is just so horrible seeing you there in the same chair where I saw Father.
5: Oh, Mr. Holmes, it's a trifle too macabre for you to assume the position of the corpse. Please get up. But it seems to be the most comfortable chair in the room, and I do like my comfort when I interrogate witnesses. However, it's hardly chivalrous, is it? Uh, Miss Irvin, please sit down, won't you?
4: I, I, I don't like to sit down in the chair in which your father oh, died. Oh,
5: Miss Irving, we couldn't bear to see you standing.
4: Very well then.
5: But don't sit down, Harry. Why not, Binion? What's the matter? Isn't the chair safe? Oh, no, it's then not. Then perhaps you I... care to sit in it. To prove that the chair is safe.
2: No. No, I sit
5: I... down. Very well. There. Splendid. Curious chair, isn't it, Mr. Binion? I wonder about these carvings on the arms. They look almost as if they might activate concealed springs. I wonder what would happen if no, I... No, for heaven's sakes,
2: Mr. Hunt you're trying to kill me. Can you? Then you know how Sir and the policeman were murdered, eh? I,
5: I, I knew it must have something
2: to do with the chair.
4: You knew more than that, Robert. You planned it. I remember now that when we went
6: to the shop, Be you... Be quiet, Harry. <laughs> no, 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 Watson, Don't go
5: after them. The start will stop him. In any case, the police are at the door. Oh, oh, I'm tired. I think I'll sit in this rather fateful armchair. So it was young Binion all the time, eh? Yes, and he all but outsmarted me. I reasoned that somehow the murderer must have intended the device of this chair to clear him. And suddenly I saw the real motivation. How better establish his innocence than seeming to be obviously guilty, and yet leaving a trail whereby an astute deduction could seem to clear him. Yes,
3: his idea that Mr. Irvin
5: came to you. He used you as a, a catch boy. That's him. right, Watson. I'm afraid this whole case is a rather humiliating experience oh, for me. Well, why, why do you Oh, say the Stroud had arrested the right man in the first place. Oh, oh, oh. oh, my dear Watson, I shall never hear the end of this. Never. ha,
6: ha, ha.
2: As usual, Doctor, that was a swell story. (laughs) Imagine Lestrade accidentally arresting the right man.
3: Well, he had that one coming to him. Poor fellow, he'd been outwitted by Holmes so many times he was beginning to get an inferiority compliment.
2: (laughs) What about Miss Irvin? How did she take it when her boyfriend, Binion, has proved guilty? Well, when she realized
3: that her sweetheart had actually murdered her father, as they say in the Penny thrillers, her love turned to hate. But at first, he, uh, he took it pretty bad there. Uh, mm, I can imagine so. Mr. Bartell, my boy, that's one of the disadvantages of being a detective. When you bring the guilty to justice, you very often cause the innocent to suffer, too. Believe
2: me, never become a detective. Stick to being a, a wine expert. Are you calling me a wine expert? <laughs> now, wait a minute, Doctor. All I oh, know about don't... wine is that it either tastes good or it doesn't. <laughs> and I know that Petri wine always does taste good. And I know why, too. It's because the Petri family has been making wine for generations. The art of turning luscious, sun-ripened grapes into fragrant, delicious wine is their heritage. A heritage handed down within the Petri family from father to son, from father to son. What particular type wine you prefer is, of course, a matter of your personal taste. But let me assure you of this. Whatever type wine you desire, for any occasion, you can depend on any wine that bears the Petri label. Petri took time to bring you good wine. And today, that name Petri is the proudest name in the long history of America's wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes adventure are you planning to tell us next week? Next
3: week, Mr. Bartell. Now, let me see. Next week. Next week, I'm going to tell you a strange story that took place in one of the smaller states of Middle Europe. Concerns a young prince, a most unusual concert, and a beautiful contralto who sang two days after we'd seen her die at the hands of the firing squad. I call the story
2: The Haunting of Sherlock Holmes. Doctor, that's one I've got to listen to.
3: Uh, yes, Mr. Bartell. And everyone should also listen to what Secretary of Agriculture Anderson says about saving used kitchen fat. We've all got to keep turning in every bit of used fat. Take it to your meat dealer. The shortage of fat is worse now than ever it was. And unless we help, and we all help, we'll all be faced with a serious shortage of soap. Yes, and a serious shortage of paint, lubricating oils, drugs, and many other things that require fat in their manufacture. It's up to us. Keep
2: turning in every bit of used kitchen fat. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Musgrove Ritual. Music is by Dean Falksler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studio. This is Harry Bartell saying good night for the Petrie family. For a solid hour of exciting mystery dramas, listen every Monday on most of these same stations at 8 o'clock to Michael Shane, followed immediately by Sherlock Holmes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
1: Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks, next on Theatre of the Mind. Time now for Eve Arden as Our Miss Brooks. The show we're about to air was first broadcast in 1949. The same year, the show landed several honors, including four for Eve Arden. She won a radio listener's poll by Radio Mirror magazine as the top-ranking comedian of 1948-49. Receiving her award at the end of our Miss Brooks broadcast that March, she joked, I'm certainly going to try in the coming months to merit the honor you've bestowed upon me, because I understand that if I win this two years in a row, I get to keep Mr. Boynton. (laughs) But she was also a hit with the critics. A winter 1949 poll of newspaper and magazine radio editors taken by Motion Picture Daily named her the year's best radio comedian. The show tonight is entitled The Hairdo.
7: Palm Olive Soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair, bring you our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. <laughs> who teaches English at Madison High School is as sociable as the next teacher, especially if the next teacher happens to be Mr. Philip Boynton. But unfortunately, Mr. Boynton, who teaches biology at Madison, is a a rather shy individual.
8: Yes, indeed. For a fellow who spends so much time studying life, he certainly manages to get very little on him.
6: (laughs) Of course, there are rumors
8: around the school that I'm that way about Mr. Boynton. Now, I don't know exactly what that way means, but if feeling that way means feeling this way, then I guess I'm that way about Mr. (laughs) (laughs) Walter. Anyway, last week, he accepted my invitation to invite me to the faculty dance Saturday night. And so bright and early Saturday morning, I asked one of my pupils, Walter Denton, to drive me down to the beauty parlor in his jalopy. Unlike the new Hudson, Walter's car isn't one you step down into. His car, most people back away from It's a very streamlined little job No windows, no top, and no windshield All in all, it's the coldest hot rod in town If it's too cool for you, Miss Brooks, I can put up the top The top? Where is that? In the back, on the floor
6: (laughs) Thanks, Walter.
8: It doesn't matter how my hair looks now. Antoine will change me into something believable. I appreciate your giving me this lift today, Walter. Oh, it's a pleasure,
9: Miss Brooks. A pleasure and a privilege, because I'm so fond of you both as a person and a teacher. You know, that's one thing about Madison High. They sure got some wonderful teachers. Now, take Mr. Boynton. Granted? He sure is tops. I ran into him the other night at the movies. Incidentally, he was with another member of the faculty, Miss Enright. Please, Walter, not so soon after breakfast. (laughs) I forgot. You and Miss Enright aren't exactly stuck on each other. That, Walter, is an understatement. Now, let's just forget about her, shall we? Sure, I'll be happy to forget about her. I never think about
8: her much anyway. Fine. Walter? Yeah? Was she sitting close to Mr. Boynton? (laughs) Who? The lady we decided to forget about.
9: Well, I can practically give you a blow-by-blow because I sat right behind him in the movie.
8: And what's your report, G2? (laughs)
6: Nothing.
9: Nothing? They were so dull, I spent half my time watching the picture.
6: (laughs) You should have asked
9: for your money back. Of course, she did whisper a couple of things into his ear, but I
8: couldn't hear what they were very well. She has a funny way of purring when she talks. There's nothing funny about it. To her, purring comes naturally. (laughs) Of course, she tried to hold Mr. Boynton's hand once or twice, but she didn't quite make it. Why not? Most
9: of the time, he had it in a bag of popcorn. (laughs) Well, it would serve
8: her right if she got salt all over her manicure. Here's the beauty parlor, Walter. Uh, Would it be convenient for you to pick me up in a couple of hours? Oh, sure, sure. I gotta get a haircut
9: anyhow, and I usually go to Barney's Barbershop right down the street. I was thinking of getting a butch haircut
8: this time. Well, from what I've seen of the kids who get their hair cut at Barney's, he can butch up any kind of a haircut. (laughs) Well, if it
10: isn't Miss Brooks A long time no see, like the man says. What man? Oh, there you go You're not in my shop two minutes And you're pulling my leg But I don't care I'm delighted to see you at any time You're such a challenge to a beautician (laughs)
6: Challenge? Yes, you
10: see, you come into my shop so infrequently I have to start from scratch each time (laughs) Of course, you do have a load of natural beauty
8: Thanks, loads <laughs> but then, so
10: does a rosebush. And even it, with all its natural loveliness, must be properly and frequently cared for in order to retain that beauty. Its soil must be irrigated, its roots watered, its leafy branches gently sprinkled.
8: Well, don't stand there, turn the hose on me. <laughs> Uh, Before
10: I assign you to a booth, uh, tell me, Miss Brooks, what prompted you to come in this morning?
8: Oh, it's very simple, Antoine. There's a faculty dance at Madison High tonight, and I thought it would be nice to look like a human being.
10: All the big jobs they bring to Antoine.
6: (laughs) Well, no matter.
10: It's a feeble artist, indeed, who cannot rise above his subject. I shall make you my masterpiece. All I ask in return is that you promise to visit Antoine's once a week.
8: Aren't you forgetting something? I'm a school teacher. You know, it isn't an accident that we of the faculty have a faculty for always looking like the faculty. (laughs) Beauty parlors are a luxury we can rarely afford. Well, apparently that
10: doesn't apply to all teachers. Uh, One of my best customers is a teacher. In fact, she has an appointment here in a few minutes. Uh, uh, Miss Enright. Uh, Do you know her?
8: Yes, we both teach English at Madison.
10: Oh, then you and Miss Enright have something in common.
8: I suppose you could call in that, yes.
6: No,
10: she's a wonderful person. Very active in the Parent Teachers Association and in all sorts of civic functions. Uh, What do you think of her?
8: She's fine. Good teacher.
10: Uh, Confidentially, I don't like her either. (laughs) But even though I should be grateful for the new customers I get through her connections, I can't help feeling that she's very overbearing. That's my honest opinion, and when it comes to people, I believe that honesty is the best policy.
8: Well, here I am, Antoine.
10: Miss Enright, how wonderful to see you.
8: (laughs) policy just lapsed.
6: (laughs) Why,
8: Miss Brooks, what are you doing in a beauty parlor? Oh, I just thought I'd let Antoine do a little lily gilding.
10: I haven't started yet. I'm going to make Miss Brooks look like a thing of beauty.
8: Is there
11: time? (laughs) Saturday, you know. We have to
8: be back at school by Monday. Oh,
11: I'll
6: make
8: it. Antoine's going to put more men on the job.
6: <laughs>
11: well, uh, if
10: you'll excuse me for a moment, I'll arrange booth three for you, Miss Evans.
11: Oh, do that, Antoine. Uh, Miss Brooks, now that we're alone, there's something I think you should
8: know. That you were at the movies with Mr. Boynton last night? Well, how did you... Were you there, too? No, just my emissary. (laughs) I must admit, Miss Brooks, I thought you'd be a little more upset about it. Upset? Me? Because Mr. Boynton chooses to go out with another English teacher? Of course I'm not upset. In fact, I had quite a laugh over it. A laugh? I thought I'd split my infinitive.
6: (laughs) (laughs) You see, I happen
8: to know that Mr. Boynton once heard the expression, Let's live a little. Yes? So that's what he does. He lives as little as possible. (laughs) No, I'm not worried about what Mr. Boynton does when he's not with me.
11: Look, Miss Brooks, I like to do things in an open and above-board manner. I'm going to lay my cards on the table.
8: Good. Take them out of your sleeve and deal.
6: (laughs) (laughs) What's the first card? Just
11: this. I know you've booked Mr. Boynton for the faculty dance tonight, but remember, there's always tomorrow, and I don't give up easily. Well, good for you, salty
6: nails. (laughs) Don't
11: underestimate me, my dear. The next time Mr. Boynton and I walk down a middle aisle,
8: it may not be in a theater. Be sure to invite me to the wedding. And, Miss Enright, if you ever become a mother, remember, I'd love one of the kittens.
10: (laughs) (laughs) Ready for you now, Miss Enright. Yes,
11: coming, Antoine. I'll see you and Mr. Boynton at
8: the dance, Miss Brooks. I'll be looking forward to it with considerable revulsion.
11: <laughs> oh, oh, three. here it is.
10: Hey, sit right down here, Miss Henry.:
11: Antoine, before you do anything for me, I want you to take care of Miss Brooks.
10: Yeah, but you're appointed. I'll was...
11: wait. There's a certain way I want you to take care of Miss Brooks. First of all, I want you to comb her hair up in back and give her bangs in front.
10: But that wouldn't suit her face at all.
11: Exactly. Then I want you to be sure and see that she's got pounds of makeup on. Plenty of rouge, eyeshadow, everything. But she
10: won't like that. Neither
11: will Mr. Boynton. I know the type. And whatever you do, don't let Miss Brooks look into a mirror. Tell her, uh, tell her to wait for her first reaction from a member of the opposite sex.
10: But Miss Enright, suppose she doesn't want me to-
11: She'll agree to anything you suggest. She knows you're an expert beautician.
10: Well, then how can I betray her faith in me? I'd feel like a traitor. A despicable traitor.
11: Antoine, dozens of women patronize this shop at my suggestion, and at my suggestion, they go elsewhere. Now, are you going to give Miss Brooks the works or not? Well,
10: Benedict Arnold made a nice living for years. (laughs) Are all finished. Remember now, no mirrors, Miss Brooks.
8: All right, Antoine, if you say so. I'll leave it up to the public. Oh, there's Walter parked as usual right in front of a fire plug.
6: <laughs>
8: well, here I am. Let's go. Uh, sorry, lady. I'm waiting for Miss Brooks. Take another look, Walter. It's me.
9: Holy cow! Get in quick. I'll take you to the receiving hospital. <laughs> Better yet, I'll give you first aid. I'm the Red Cross chairman of our class, you know. Well, why do
8: I need first aid? Your mouth, it's all cut. Oh, you're just not used to seeing me with lipstick on. Start the car, Walter. I didn't intend to take so long. Mrs. Davis will be wondering what happened to me. When she sees you, she'll still be wondering.
6: <laughs> Gosh, that
9: hair comb. Those bangs. What's wrong with these bangs? Are they too long? Or. Well... In all the time you've known me, Miss Brooks, have I ever consciously been fresh or tried to hurt your feelings? No, Walter, never. And I can answer your question honestly. They're not long enough. They're frustrating, Miss Brooks. (laughs) What are you talking about, Walter? Well, they start out all right, but just when they really
8: get going, boom, they stop.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Right at the tip of your nose. (laughs)
8: Oh, that's just a few hairs that were blown out of place in this hopped up pie plate of yours. How do I look otherwise? Well, frankly, Miss Brooks,
9: I thought you were more beautiful without all that stuff. I mean, well gosh, with your natural beauty, you could have been a famous stage actress or even a model or a big movie star. I've often wondered, what made you become a school teacher anyway?
8: I couldn't resist the money. <laughs> me home from Antoine, and as my new bangs and I entered the front door, my landlady, Mrs. Davis, came out of the living room.
12: Hello, Mrs. Davis. Oh, how do you do, madam? If you're looking for Miss Brooks, she
8: isn't in. I'm her landlady. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe I can refresh your memory. Good morning, Mrs. Davis. I can't pay the rent till next week. Connie Brooks, where in the world did you get that makeup? Antoine's beauty parlor. You didn't leave much
12: there, did you?
1: (laughs) Although I suppose it is
12: attractive to a male. By the way, has he called? Mr. Boynton, you mean? Not this morning, Connie. And I know why you didn't get any calls last night either. For I discovered our phone wasn't working. But I fixed it about an hour ago. You fixed it? Yes, I went downtown and paid the bill.
6: (laughs) You know,
8: Connie, as one gets used to your new look, he's not half bad. Well, I should hope not. After spending three hours in a hot booth, at least I can expect... I'll get it. Hello? Well,
13: hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Boynton. I thought I'd better call to ask what time I can pick you up tonight. I wouldn't want to barge in without giving you ample time to get ready.
8: Oh, you can come over any time, Mr. Boynton. It never takes me more than a few minutes to fix
13: up. Well, then I'll be over about seven. Uh, You know, I tried to reach you several times last night, but your phone was out of order. Yes, I just heard about it. I was quite disappointed when you didn't answer, but while I was combing some new white mice I've acquired, Miss Enright dropped by and asked me if I wanted to go to the movies.
8: What did you do with the other mice? (laughs) Where did you go after the movie? Ice cream parlor?
13: Oh, no, I was full. The popcorn's very good at the Paramount.
8: Yes, I know. Don't they have a slogan that goes, if it's Paramount Picture, it's the best popcorn in town?
6: I
13: don't know about that, Miss Brooks, but this wasn't a Paramount Picture. It was an independent. It's about some girl with a lot of money who wants her sweetheart to quit being a poor songwriter and work in her father's doorknob factory. Does he? No, but he writes a big hit song after they separate, and when he's got as much money as her father, he asks her to marry him again, and this time she says yes.
8: I can't understand it.
13: Me either. You ought to see the girl this fellow proposes to. She's got two inches of makeup on and she wears bangs. Bangs? <laughs> the most ridiculous looking get up you ever saw. How any man in his right mind could fall for anybody like that would well I won't keep you any longer, Miss Brooks. I'll pick you up at seven. Goodbye.
8: Goodbye. Oh, I wish I hadn't let Walter go home. He could have taken me back to Antoine. I get it, Tommy. Well, Osgood Conklin, how is
12: Madison's handsome principal today? Uh, fine,
7: Margaret, fine. As you know, my wife's preparing all the refreshments for the dance tonight, and she wondered if you'd be kind enough to help her out with a few sandwiches. Why,
12: of course, Osgood. Shall I make the same kind of sandwiches I did last time? White fish and peanut butter?
6: <laughs> oh, no,
12: no, thank you. I've
7: brought some Hello, things. Mr.
12: Conklin. Miss Brooks has been to the hairdressers, Osgood. do not she look interesting?
7: Well, uh, I really don't know. It's hard to tell. I, I can see you all right, Miss Brooks, but how in the world can you see me?
8: Oh, it's easy, Mr. Conklin. I just blow a little, and there you are. As a matter of fact, I've got to get back to the beauty parlor right away. Do you think you could give me a lift?
7: I suppose so, Miss Brooks. And, Mrs. Davis, you'll find the ingredients for the sandwiches in this package right here.
8: All right, Osgood. I'll get started right away. See you later, Conklin. Goodbye, Mrs. Davis.
7: Well, come along, Miss Brooks. I'll drop you off. Whitefish and peanut butter?
8: (laughs) As I recall, Mr. Conklin, the beauty parlor's only a couple of blocks past your house, so I won't be taking you too far out of your way. Uh,
7: That's perfectly all right, Miss Brooks. I hope you'll forgive me for seeming so taken aback when you first came in, but, well... You did look quite unlike a schoolteacher.
8: Is that bad?
7: On Saturdays, no.
6: <laughs> in fact, I
7: uh, I rather admire a woman who takes the time to enhance her charms. Confidentially, I've been trying to stampede Mrs. Conklin into a beauty salon for years, but she just can't see it. Doesn't believe in powder, rouge, lipstick,
8: none of the refinements. What does she want with refinements? She's got you. That is, she's uh,
6: got you. <laughs> Excuse
7: me, we're just passing my house. I always honk the horn when I'm in the neighborhood. Gives my wife and daughter a feeling of security. (laughs) But as you just said, Miss Brooks, she's got me. That's the trouble. She doesn't have to patronize beauty shops to hold on to me, and she knows it. Of course, if she had some reason to be jealous of me, she... Jealous. Miss Brooks, do you think that if Martha were jealous... Oh,
8: pardon me, Mr. Conklin, but if you'll just pull up here, this is Antoine. Where? It's that little building with the dimple in the door. (laughs) Thanks for the lift, Mr. Conklin. You're
7: welcome, Miss Brooks. And we can pursue the topic of my wife's peccadilloes at the dance tonight.
8: Oh, definitely. I'm one of the best peccadillo dancers in town.
10: (laughs) Well, that does it, Miss Brooks.
8: Am I completely plain again, Antoine?
10: If you were any plainer, you'd fade right into the woodwork.
8: (laughs) You I'm home,
12: Mrs. Davis. She should be back any oh, wait a minute. She just came in. Come to the phone, Tommy.
8: It's Mr. Boynton. Again? I wonder what he wants now. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. Hello?
13: Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Mrs. Davis told me you were at the beauty shop. I was delighted to hear that.
8: Delighted, Mr. Boynton?
13: Yes. You see, I was afraid you might misconstrue my remarks about the girl in the movie and think that I dislike all spectacular hairdressings. Actually, the new styles fascinate me. They do? Yes. (laughs) Uh, What sort of hairdo did you get, Miss Brooks?
8: Well, what I got was more of a hair don't.
6: But uh,
8: (laughs) I'm sure you'll like what I'm going to get again, Mr. Boynton.
13: Oh, fine. When we walk into that dance tonight, I want those other teachers to really notice you. I've even bought a brand new blue serge suit.
8: Do you think it'll fit me?
13: <laughs> <laughs> That's a hot one. I'll see you at seven. Goodbye, Miss Brooks. Goodbye, Mr. Boynton.
8: Well, back to the beauty parlor. You know something, Mrs. Davis? What, Connie? In moments like these, I almost wish I was Mrs. Conklin. What am I saying? <laughs>
7: I'll have to be going down to the gym now, Martha. I want to see if it's fixed up properly for the dance tonight.
12: Very well, dear. Oh, don't forget the keys to your car. They're on the table in the hall. And, Osgood, I must say the car took a lovely polish. I got a glance at it when you were driving past the house with some woman.
7: Yes. Well, I was just... You saw me driving with some woman, Martha?
12: Yes, dear, I did.
7: Well, there's no need to be jealous, of course, but she was quite pretty, don't you think?
12: I'm sorry, Osgood. I didn't get a very good look at it. I was carrying some cold cuts at the time.
6: If you
7: must know, she was gorgeous
12: The cold cuts were quite popular last year
7: Don't evade the issue, Martha Who was that woman you saw me with this morning?
6: Oh, I know that That's a hot one.
7: I repeat Who was that woman, Martha?
12: What woman? Oh, in the car with you. Well, really, Osgood, you drive so many women from the Board of Education around. This one wasn't from the
7: Board of Education.
12: Far from it. Oh, please, dear, you're leaning against the potato salad.
7: (laughs) Why don't you admit it, Martha? You're jealous.
12: Five loaves of white. That should be enough.
7: Martha, I said you were jealous.
12: Yes, dear. Now, where did I put the rye bread?
7: Martha, you're not even listening to me.
6: Hello, dear.
12: Hello. Oh,
7: (laughs) I mean, hello, Harry.
12: Harriet, you've been crying. Is something wrong, dear?
6: Oh, everything's wrong. Walter Dan told me he had to pick up Miss Brooks, but when I saw him, he was riding around with some, some creature in bang. <laughs> I'm going up to my room now, Mother, and if Walter calls, just tell him I've taken a slow boat to China. Oh, my
12: But after you've brooded a while, please come down and help me find the rye bread.
6: Oh, Mother! <laughs>
7: Now there's a girl who will make some man a fine wife. Insanely jealous. Oh, here's
12: the rivalry. I do hope I win the door prize this year.
7: Don't think I'm past noticing pultritude, Martha. I'm still just a boy at heart. you know why I gave that other woman a lift in my car? Because she'd just come from the beauty shop. You hear me, Martha? I was bedazzled. If it hadn't been for all the powder in that store-bought hair...
12: That man of mine wouldn't have gone nowhere.
7: Nowhere. So what's the (laughs) use?
10: Hello again, Miss Brooks. Itili, prepare booth number four. And now then, Miss Brooks, you said on the phone you wanted something fascinating, so I've decided to give you the famous Antoine Marcel.
8: Is it really exciting, Antoine? Exciting?
10: This is the very same coiffure I copied hair by hair from gorgeous George.
8: (laughs) Fine. Just give it to me, and then I'll wrestle you for the bill. (laughs)
13: This ought to be a very successful dance, Miss Brooks. Quite a few people in the gym.
8: Yes, indeed, Mr. Boynton. And at the sound of the next voice, there will be one people too many. Oh, there you are. Good evening, Mr. Boynton.
11: Uh,
13: good evening, Miss Enright.
11: The next number is a waltz, Mr. Boynton. Oh, is it? Yes, and I'm just
8: dying to waltz. Well, you do that. Mr. Boynton and I will be right behind you. <laughs> look who
13: just came in. It's Mrs. Conklin, isn't it?
8: Oh, yes, but in a backless evening gown and an upswept hairdo. And I thought I was overdone. Alongside of Mrs. Conklin, I look like Carrie Nation after a bad night. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone.
13: Good evening, Mrs. Conklin. Hello,
8: Mrs. Conklin. Don't
12: let me scare you. I I got myself up like this to teach Osgood a lesson. (laughs) I wonder what he'll say
8: when he sees me. Well, you won't have to wait long to find out. He's coming over now.
7: Uh, Hello, folks. I... Oh, I see. We have a newcomer in our midst, and a, a very charming one at that. Osgood Conklin at your service, Miss uh, Miss.
12: Uh... It's Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Conklin.
7: Well, I'm delighted to make your <laughs>
6: Mrs.
7: Conklin.
12: Hello, Osgood.
7: Ma, what in the world? Your hair. You... Well, if that is... your face is of all. The... You look lovely, my dear. <laughs> I'm going to have every dance with you tonight. Oh, Boynton. Oh, yes, Mr. Conklin. I'd like you to take over my duties as host at the front door, if you please.
13: Oh, but, sir, Miss Brooks and I will... To the door, to... Boynton. Yes, sir. Come along,
7: Martha. If it hadn't been for powder and that store-bought hair,
8: I wouldn't have... Oh, Miss Enright. Yes, Miss Brooks? Shall we dance? <laughs> Well, Mr. Boynton got away from the door just in time to ask me for the last half of the last
6: dance.
13: You look lovely tonight, Miss Brooks. I feel I put you into a lot of trouble today.
8: Oh, it was nothing. Of course, I did lose about five pounds, but it was mostly around the scalp.
13: Attention,
7: attention, please. Ladies and gentlemen of the faculty, it is my pleasure at this time to announce the winner of the door prize. She is none other than our Miss Brooks. Congratulations, Miss Brooks.
8: Thank you, Mr. Conklin.
7: Now, I know you're all anxious to find out what the door prize is. Well, I have here a ticket, Miss Brooks, entitling you to one free treatment at Antoine's Beauty Park.
6: <laughs>
8: Mr. Conklin, would you tell me one thing?
7: What's that, Miss Brooks?
8: Is this for putting on or taking off? <laughs> Week. Tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Pomoly Soap, Your
7: Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Mary Jane Croft, Frank Nelson, and Margaret McDonald. <laughs> Or mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs Listen to Mr. and Mrs. North The exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations And be with us again next week at this same time For another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks Bob Lamont speaking this week marks the 37th anniversary of the Girl Scouts, and the Colgate Palmolive Company takes this opportunity to wish a very happy birthday to all Girl Scouts of America, whose fine program trains the girls of today to be better citizens in the world of tomorrow. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with Dimension X, followed by Burns and Ellen. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced
0: and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.